Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Why don't I uh, take it home? I'll give it a think. All right. You know who does pros and cons? Hunks a metal like her. Which is why she'll never fall in love or drive too fast or have kids or do any of the crazy things that make life worth the price. And it's why she's stuck in the same day every day. While fools like me and you, we get to dream on a better tomorrow. Oh, you're smiling. (laughs) You know that? (laughs) This is nuts. How does it feel? Be back among the living. This time, don't let it slip away. What's that? That's just what we said. Zero down, one fifty a month, and it's yours for a scribble. Hey, you wake up tomorrow, you don't like it, we rip it right up. But you know what? There's a catch, though. You gotta promise me that you're gonna call your daughter. And you tell her life is too short and you love her. And her room is ready whenever she wants to fly up and spend some time with Dad. That's Hello Tomorrow, new episodes every Friday on Apple TV. Plus, James Dempsey's with us once again. Afternoon, James. Good afternoon, Sean. Uh, when is what era is this set in? So, um, well, it is a retro futurist 1950s America in the space race time, um, but it is obviously not set in our universe because uh, things looked a little bit more bleak, I think, in the 1950s than it is, is portrayed here. Um, it's a drama created by a man named Amit Bala and another man named Lucas Jansen. There are two screenwriters whose credits, th- their biggest one to date is Bloodline, which was a fairly short-lived Netflix show around 2016. It's one that I'm sure I reviewed on the slot way back when and definitely never watched another episode of again ever <laughs> and uh, this uh, i'm afraid this is kind of par for the course for them because this is visually really really beautiful right it, like i mean it looks absolutely uh, spick and span the, the the styling and production is is fantastic but at the heart of it is a fairly drab ordinary uh, plot about selling timeshares on the moon in the 1950s. Now, the thing about it is, obviously, that should sound very exciting, right? We're talking about, like, lunar travel, the Jetsons, that kind of uh, Mm. quaint 50s take on the future. But at its at its core here, there's not an awful lot to it. And while I am often one to say that there's nothing I love more than a half hour episode of a TV show, here you've got half hours and you're not left with an awful lot more. So you're left really wanting more because you don't get an awful lot to begin with. And so is it just about these door to door salespeople and, you know, whether they sell any timeshares or not? Or, or uh, there must be some sort of personal tensions or a story arc there. Yeah, so it it is billed as a a, a comedy, but the laughs come fairly uh, irregularly, really, and it's more a drama than anything else. Uh, it's it's about um, as a, yeah, it's about this company, these door to door salesmen. They're led by the aptly named Jack Billings, who's played by Billy Crudup, and Billy Crudup is kind of I, you know, despite this being a fairly so so show, he is perfectly cast in this because he does have this sort of handsome everyman uh, next door quality uh, that would make him a very believable uh, kind of door-to-door salesman. And he does have this, you know, salesman smile that could kind of sell you something, right? But what you've got here is 
uh, at the center of the story, a, fa a kind of a family drama. So he is Jack, Billy Crudup. He's running the company. He's ably, or not particularly ably, actually backed up by Hank Azaria, who plays Eddie, and Hanifa Wood, who plays Shirley. She's kind of the, the only sensible one amongst the salesperson. And he's in this new town where he uh, happens upon Joey, a young guy, uh, played by Nicholas Podani, whose kind of biggest credit so far is actually on Broadway. He was in uh, The Cursed Child, Harry Potter play. And he takes, uh, so Jack, Billy Crudup, takes Joey under his wing for reasons that will become very obvious the second you start watching the show. And there is a bit of kind of kitchen sink family drama going on. There is the sense of, uh, is this all just a load of, is it all just, you know, a load of nonsense? Is it a scheme? Are they trustworthy? Are they not? Do they believe their own scheme? Who's in on it and who's not, et cetera, et cetera. And all in, I've seen three of the 10 episodes, the three that have been made available. What ultimately struck me about this show is because it is so polished and perfectly styled, I don't understand why these people are leading unhappy lives, right? As in, why hmm. would you be aspiring to travel to the moon when you live in the Jetsons? <laughs> you know, like yeah. as in, there's this... There's this wonderful opening scene. It's it, it, it made for a terrible potential clip, uh, but you can watch it on YouTube, which just sort of follows this kind of uh, route taken by a post a postal delivery service that's driven in these 1950s cars that are all hovering. They don't have any tires, and uh, you see a, you know a paper boy going around with a pneumatic. Uh, cannon firing, uh, you know, firing the rolled up newspapers. And there's these beautiful touches in every scene. There's a scene in, I think, the third episode, the second episode, where they go to a baseball match and they're holding like kind of self-popping popcorn things, right? Yeah. And that all is very stylish and, and fun and cute. But I'm sort of sitting there thinking, like, why do these people want to give up this wonderful life and, you know, and go to the moon? Like, it doesn't seem like they're really suffering. So it's kind of not making a good case to me as to why this whole thing exists. <laughs> and are, are they selling holiday homes on the moon or are they proposing that people can go and live there? So in this in-universe, it's it's twofold, right? So uh, there are colonies on the moon, definitely, right? And there are people who are living there full-time. Those are the, you know, the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And then they are selling both apartments or, or living quarters and then also timeshares on the moon. You know, there's no shortage of Glengarry, Glen Ross kind of dramas about, about salespersons and particularly about retail. And certainly there's a definite, there's a sense here and you get a sense very early on that maybe not all is as it seems. I mean, we definitely get a sense of that in the first episode. How much anyone is in on it is as yet unclear, but um, certainly we can imagine the drama of the first season being confined to uh, who's going to find out what and also the interpersonal relationships between the different salespersons. That's where the show probably comes most to life and the, the, best, uh, the best kind of character so far that I've been enjoying anyway, is Hank Azaria's Eddie. He's a salesman who is uh, down on his luck with the local gambling, uh, you know, like gamblers, I guess, and owes them a lot of money and is struggling to pay back and needs to find the funds. <clears throat> so far, the most interesting parts of the show have come for me from him. But all in, it isn't a very interesting show, right? I mean, mm. I've seen only an hour and a half of it. 
it hasn't left, you know, it hasn't like it isn't, you know, it, this is a show about salespersons. It hasn't sold itself especially well in those <laughs> first three episodes. And that is a kind of recurring problem for Apple. You know, a lot of their shows are very good. A lot of them are very middle of the road with a very good budget. And that will propel you to keep going. But their release kind of their release model is they tend to release one or two to three to maybe sometimes four episodes right at the beginning and then feed you on a week by week basis. Uh, it's more week W-E-A-K by week basis here for me because the first three episodes are not some kind of stellar thing that I'm thinking, oh, I absolutely am dying to know, but all in, uh, yeah, I'd wait for a better deal. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that Homer Simpson is uh, getting some work uh, <laughs> outside the, the main gig. Right. Uh, the next show is The Piano. That's on Wednesdays at 9 p.m. on Channel 4. Of course, you can catch up on all four. Here's a clip. Yeah, bro. So now you got us packing your luggage. Looks that you're really gonna leave us worried. Couldn't sleep with one eye open. My tears through the rain when they're finally spoken. Man, I lost a lot of friends to the ocean. Started off mad in the end, they're all joking. But she takes a fire with me. 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 Yo. That's the kind of stuff I was waiting to hear. Using the piano as this kind of like power source mm-hmm. to tell their story in their own style, in their own way, in an unusual setting. Mm. That is interesting. This is a unique experience. I think that was sick, to be fair. I'm going to adopt him. So, James, this is a competition of some sort then. This is reality television. It's reality television, and you know what? Uh, Claudia Winkleman is having a great year because uh, between the traitors at the end of last year and this, which I think was very favorably reviewed in the UK press, uh, she's on to a winner. It's slightly less favorably reviewed for me, but for for slightly different reasons. So uh, you might be familiar of the phenomenon of train stations having pianos that anyone in the Mm. public uh, can just go up and start playing. Certainly, I know they have it in Houston and in Kent Station in Cork, the two train stations. I tend to visit the most, um, but I'm sure they have them elsewhere. This is, <laughs> there's a very sort of uh, rasperous, uh, like, oh, Pride of Britain, we invented this thing uh, statement right at the beginning of the uh, series. So whether or not they first appeared in Britain, I don't know, but they're claiming it. And across four different translations, the first episode is St. Pancras. The next one is Leeds. Where they go after that, I'm unclear. But um, they set up these blind auditions. So the producers of the show have sort of uh, scoured the country for amateur musicians who are, or, well, some of them are professional, like professionals in their own right, but they are not uh, signed to labels or things like that. And it is their job to just come and perform the, at the piano uh, in various translations and see how the public reacts. And unbeknownst to the performers, they are also being judged by um, Lang Lang, who is, I think he's like, well, I, I don't know enough about classical piano music to say, but he's like the Andre Ryu of, of piano music is sort of what I gleaned from uh, from this. He's a Chinese virtuoso piano player who is extremely popular, if you know that kind of thing. And also Mika, the uh, British pop star, most recently seen hosting the Eurovision Song Contest a year ago in, uh, in Italy. And they watch from, you know, their kind of viewing uh, room uh, it's a bit like Gogglebox style. They're watching the the players play the play, or some of them sing. As we heard in the clip, there, there's performing involved as well. 
and they view them and they offer their take on whether they are good or bad. Now, herein uh, lies the rub for me. Ultimately, the judges are deciding which in, in each episode who will win. And those four pianists will be taken to uh, the Royal Guild Hall or uh, the Royal Festival Hall, excuse me, to perform in a like a concert competition at the end of the run, and then the best amateur or what you know, the best amateur pian- piano performer will be of Britain 2023 will be named. Now, this was absolutely, uh, you know, in the press, it like it, tickling the ivories. It was tickling the fancies of every of every uh, every reviewer watching it. And for me, I was slightly less enthused because. I found the judging quite inscrutable. So all the piano players are very good. And the episode in the, you know, in the first episode, we had ranging from self-taught to, uh, you know, to a man in his 90s to the winner who we actually heard in the clip there who was from the Isle of Wight, a recovering drug addict and who was writing his own music. And for me, I didn't understand why he won. Right. And that in that is a problem because the view, the judging wasn't, you know, it was a bit cloudy. Right. As in they were all kind of like they were watching. They were all you know, Lang Lang and Mika were going, oh, he's great. This person is really good, really good. But actually, no, this is bad. And I, as a non uh, piano playing, you know, uh, spectator, I'm really reliant on them explaining why someone is better than the, than someone else because mm. I can't tell that, right? It's why you need, you know, you need the Hollywood handshake, you need whatever. You need you need Simon Cowell to be the voice of reason over Louis Walsh, it doesn't matter. But you need someone to explain the kind of vagaries of the judge's decision making, otherwise I'm not going to understand it. I was sitting watching the show thinking, you know, the more I got into it, the less I was enjoying it. And I was sort of sitting here thinking like, if Orti had made the show, it would have been a one-off documentary about piano playing in train stations. And I would have undoubtedly done it for this lot. And I probably would have really enjoyed it and then never thought of it again. And this Hmm. is a, like, I think a five or six part show on every week. I've watched the first episode. The remaining episodes will hold no mystery to me because of course, it's going to be filled with interesting piano players who are self-taught or have learned for decades or have various sob stories, and those come thick and fast. But I, as a viewer now, won't be surprised, right? I won't, you know, by, by what comes because it's just the piano, and I don't mean that in a in a <laughs> denigrating way. Look, I cannot play the piano, and anyone who got to grade eight or any step along the road, fair play to you, good job. But as a as a television reality show. For me, it was just too vague and too samey-samey to kind of go anywhere. The, the contestants, what are they told beforehand? Do they know they're entering some sort of competition or are they just randomers happen to be walking through a train station? <laughs> well, they're definitely not randomers because whole packages have been filmed of their various sub-stories on location in their homes. So they definitely have signed up to this before. Uh, I think they were just sort of told that they would be participating in some kind of competition or some sort of performance-based show for, and they sought specifically piano players uh, to, to come to various parts of the UK and come and play. They are then revealed and, you know, like they, they really lay it on thick at one point. You know, one of them is sort of going, oh, my hero is Lang Lang. And then we see Lang Lang beaming at how he is someone's hero. And then later on, of course, they reveal Lang Lang to be judging them all along. And the judges are both very nice. Don't get me wrong. Like Mika and Lang Lang, they have good chemistry with each other. They are they are pleasant uh, in, in how they interact with the performers. It's just, I don't know, well, you know, they weren't well enough able 
able to explain to me why the winner won when as far as I was watching everyone was as good as the winner and ultimately mm-hmm. that kind of uncertainty just didn't sit right with me because that's their job Right, we'll move on to our third show of the day. It is Funny Woman. Uh, all episodes now streaming on Skymax or Now TV. Here's a clip. A chemistry read is where we see how we can work together. So yes, so it's uh, comic chemistry yeah, we're and, looking and, at. And also sexual chemistry. Crikey. That's a lot to cram into one test tube. Uh, so why don't we uh, start with the scene where the characters of Sicily and Jim are planning the dinner party at home? Should I read it in my voice or Cicely's voice or...? You know, I would love to hear her read it in Cicely's voice, if you can do RP. <laughs> Sorry, but that um, stands for uh, really posh, Sophie. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> interior flat, open on Jim. His fiancée, Cicely, enters looking for something. Hello, darling. Can I help you? I think I left my homework out. Uh, uh... I think I left my handbag here. Did you, Clive? Well, I'm not one to judge. I'll help you look for it later. (laughs) Sorry, 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 Clive. Sorry. Can can I have another crack at it? Right, a fairly good kind of British cast in this. (laughs) Yeah, so like it's a bit, (laughs) it's very savvy, savvy week. You know, we have gone from 1950s Americana to swinging 60s London. And this is based on Nick Hornby's, I think, I think 2014 novel, Funny Girl, uh, rebranded as Funny Woman here. And he helped to adapt it along with Morwena Banks, who also co-stars in it as well. And it stars Gemma Arterton. We heard in the clip there, she's uh, Sophie Straw. That's the uh, stage name of Barbara Parker. At the beginning of the show, she is uh, this uh, Blackpool-based beauty queen who is gets very tired very early on and just wants to have a laugh and enjoys making people laugh. And she abandons her life as a like a you know a Blackpool rock making factory girl to head off to London and pursue her dreams. And while there, she uh, comes, well, she starts in a clothes shop selling hats where she's, and she can do no job because she can't take anything seriously, right? So everything she's doing, she's always messing about. She's always making people laugh. And ultimately, after a fairly traumatic event, this propels her towards what we heard in the clip there, which is this audition she gets for a sitcom, which basically kicks off her career. Now, if you're thinking Marvelous Mrs. Maisel set Mm. across the pond and 10 years later, you're not too far off, right? Because much like this show, it's very similar to that show in that in that show, Midge Maisel... never really seems to struggle right you know she's okay her marriage falls apart i'll give her that right but like she's this comedy savant who doesn't who who just decides one day i'm now a stand-up and is able to do it perfectly without any difficulty and here we have the same kind of thing like you're supposed to sort of feel sorry for uh, barbara slash sophie but she is this statuesque blonde beauty who's really funny and charming absolutely everyone in her life but like for me you're kind of watching this and you're like God, she has a great life. So it's just going really, really, really well. Um, but a show like this is kind of comfort viewing, right? Mm. It, you're not, look, you're not, you're not, in fact, they actually make reference to Ken Loach kitchen sink dramas at one point when they're writing the sitcom. That's not what you're here for. You're here for the nice comedy, which is gentle and uh, not particularly taxing, but but well acted, right? The cast includes Gem Arterton. You have Tom Bateman, who we heard as Clive, who's kind of the hunky lead of the sitcom. 
Arshur Ali is Dennis, who's the producer. And they all have excellent chemistry with each other. The costumes are all really nice. There's a few odd decisions to include um, Gem Arterton CGI'd into 60s London stuff. It's a little bit like when on Bosco, they used to, you know, go to the magic uh, door and go on to the zoo <laughs> and you would have him. Like, it, it, lo- <laughs> it looks a bit like that. But... All in all, this was a six-parter. Did I lap up the whole thing? Absolutely. Will I think about it in two months' time? Never again. But it is charming. It's well-acted. And uh, it's easy comfort viewing. Right. Okay. So there's a, so I'm getting from what you're saying, there's a kind of a call the midwife uh, a sensibility <laughs> yes. to it. Yes. So d- does that mean like she's in a sitcom in the 1960s? British sitcoms in the 1960s were notoriously sexist and racist, like that, like not even like slightly offensive, like full on offensive. So do they tackle that at all? So they kind of tackle it, right? They do. So uh, so Sophie basically encounters on her uh, on her blessed life she she meets a shop girl in the shop she's working in who she moves in with that she becomes a cipher for sort of uh, early feminism or well whatever way feminism came in the 60s i'm not too sure first wave second wave i'm not sure but anyway uh, she her friend fulfills that role and sort of introduces her to the concept of women's liberation and then in her first ever interview she also um is interviewed by uh, this by this young uh, black kind of wind wind rush generation uh Brit- britain who uh, also introduces her to the world of uh racism via a kind of like world in action type tv show and interviews with enoch uh powell and it's all very kind of like basic uh, CSP level introductions to new developments in in social realism, right? Mm. But they're not experienced by Barbara slash Sophie firsthand. She's more a witness to them. And then the sitcom itself that they write in is, uh, it's supposed to be pushing the boundaries. So the way it does it, to be honest to me, seemed actually too far as in a bit <laughs> i'm reluctant to say it's too woke it's woke to scott bad but but um it is woke to scott bad so I, i'll say it right <laughs> but the, but the show itself um as i said it's it, this is this is like you, you're kind of hit the nail on the head with with uh call the midwife level of comedy drama that's what you're going for here it's nice. It's a nice show about nice people doing nice things. And whenever they, whenever they encounter problems, they overcome them. And you will be able to see every single turn that it takes a million miles before it does. But it's so well put together in a nice package that actually it's fine. Ah, that's nice. All right. So the three shows today were Hello Tomorrow, new episodes every Friday on Apple TV Plus. The Piano, that's on Wednesdays at 9pm on Channel 4. You can catch up on all four or Funny Woman, all episodes now streaming on Sky Max or Now TV. James Dempsey, thanks a million. Thank you very much. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.